Uh, so if you want to open your Bibles there, Malachi chapter 3, we've been in this sermon series for a few weeks now, and I know that it's Mother's Day, and uh, this book can be quite challenging, so um, just wanted to sort of, you know, point the, the obvious out, because we decided to not sort of uh, digress from our sermon series just because it's Mother's Day, but just, just uh, you know, kind of a warning, this is a challenging book, so this is going to be a challenging passage like it was last week, but we think the words, uh, God's Word is faithful, and it's going to lead us and teach us about Christ, so we decided just to continue on with the series. While you're also turning there, I want to remind you about the resource wall over there by the Connect booth. Those books up there are free. We want you to take those books. All of those are there to help supplement your reading of God's Word. We believe that those books can help you better understand what God has already revealed for us in the Scriptures. So please take those. If you, if you see one and you think someone else could use it, grab it and, and take it to them. We want people to, to know and understand God's Word and understand who Christ is because the more we know Him, the greater love that we'll have for Him. All right? So that's why we give those resources away. That's why we're sticking with our sermon series in Malachi um, but we're, we're pretty excited. So uh, today's text is actually, um, well, it's about justice, all right? And Malachi is speaking about justice because everything that he has already exposed by bringing Israel's neglect of, God, neglect of God into the light over the past two chapters, um, that's why he's speaking about justice, because he's already brought it into the light. And at the beginning of Malachi, he reminded Israel about God's love. So he began by reminding them about God's love and uh, his love for his people by pointing to the fact that it was God who chose, uh, chose them to be his people. He is the one who chose them to be his people. His love for them was evidenced by God's choosing Jacob over Esau and experienced by the fact that they were actually allowed or they actually returned to Jerusalem. They were successful in their return to Jerusalem, although... Even though they had all those blessings, even though they had all that information, Israel still wasn't giving God his proper honor and respect because they took for granted those blessings. They, they took him for granted, which then caused apathy to really take root in their heart, which is why Malachi is writing this book. Malachi showed us and them how that was true for all of the people as well as the priests, even those who were meant to be the most holy and set apart as we talked about two weeks ago. We also learned that this, if this dishonor and disrespect that they were showing God wasn't turned around, if it wasn't repented of, God would punish them. He would punish them for their disrespect and dishonor. Remember, we talked about how the dung would be wiped on their faces, the dung of their sacrifices. And you'll have to listen to the sermon. I'm just going to leave that sort of there. The priests and the people had forsaken, really, who they belonged to. They had forsaken who they belonged to. And as they willfully committed just outrageous abominations while they cried out for more blessings, they were like, this, you know, I'm, I'm in pain, I'm hurting, I want this, I want that, please give me more, even though they were so ridiculous in their, uh, their wanings and they're just going through the motions of worshiping this God who had, who had saved them, who had chosen him as their people. Now, what we're going to learn today is that God's people are guilty of having almost everything in life backwards. So we've kind of built up to this moment. We've seen these certain issues. Today we're going to learn how God's people, Israel, have almost everything backwards and that the Lord is simply wearied by them. That's what he says. He says, I am wearied by them. In our text today, Malachi once again shows us this by articulating a clear accusation by God, which is then immediately followed up by this 
condescending question from an apathetic Israel. All right, so if you would stand with me in reverence for God's word, we're going to read Malachi chapter 3, but we're actually going to begin with Malachi 2 verse 17 because, well, that's where we left off. So Malachi 2 verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat and I'll pray for us. Father, we are so thankful that we have your word. We're so grateful that we can come and hear from you on a daily basis, Lord. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see this truth and, and, a, and a soft heart to receive what you have for us today. Lord, this is challenging. It's going to be difficult for us to, to recognize that there is something looming if we don't repent, that there is judgment that comes for us if we are sinners and we don't actually turn and follow after your son. Lord, help us then to, to, to wrestle with this recognize the deficiencies in our own life, but also learn about your son in this time. Please reveal him to us as I, as I know that you will. Uh, help us, Lord, in this time. And it's in your son's name we pray, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I, I wanted to begin with verse 17 because it really does uh, sort of set off or, or really give a, a good understanding to where the rest of Malachi chapter 3 is launching off from. So let me reread chapter 17, chapter 2, verse 17. It says this, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Now, what I want us to see in this, in this verse, in this passage here, is that Malachi says something actually quite clever. He says something pretty clever in this first sentence. He says that the people have wearied the Lord. Now, as we've mentioned over the last couple of weeks, Malachi likes to draw on known truths, truths that are found in the prophets and the law that they already understand that, uh, to, to reveal the people's misunderstandings and sin, and he does it again here. So he likes to draw on this knowledge and truth that they should already know in order to reveal things that they're, they're, they're walking incorrectly in, right? And he, again, he does this here. The people of Israel, especially the priests, would have had a pretty good understanding about this God of creation, right? They would have understood this God of, again, the prophets and the law. The, they would have also would have heard or at least been taught about the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah 40, 28 says this, that the Lord is the everlasting God, 
the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. You see, they they understood this passage. They understood that God, who is the one who created all things, he doesn't get tired out from hard work. This isn't the God of creation. So if that's true, if he doesn't grow weary, then how have they wearied him? Well, Malachi says, with their words, right? Apparently, what they were doing in their sort of apathetic worship weren't praises. It wasn't pleas for help or prayers that longed for his presence and his wisdom. Instead, if we connect our imaginations to what Malachi has already revealed and sort of rebuked with the people, their words were likely complaints. The words were likely frustrations about how God wasn't fulfilling the hopes and dreams that they had decided that they deserved. They knew that they were God's chosen people, and they had decided, well, then we should get these things. This is the type of life that I should lead. So God wasn't weary from hard work, so it had to be something else. And it's Isaiah who once again helps us understand Malachi's point. Isaiah 43, 24 this time. You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have worried me with your iniquities. God was weary because of their apathetic hearts, right? He was wearied. He was burdened. This is what burdened them, their apathetic attitudes in their worship for him, not giving him proper honor and respect. But the people didn't get it. They knew, again, they knew who they were. They knew were God's chosen people. They, they, they thought they had certain blessings simply because of that, but they didn't get what was actually going on because they were just simply too self-absorbed. They were just too self-absorbed. They only were thinking of themselves. So they fire back with this really... Uh, foolish confidence, really, almost sort of amazed that God would make such declaration about them. And their response is, really? How have we wearied you? Malachi gives two examples. He says this, by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Now, if you think about it, these complaints are actually a bit related because they reveal the natural and very normal desire in all of us to have evil punished. All of us, when we see evil, when we see this, all of us sort of get bound up and frustrated when we see evil happening. Our bones burn when we see injustice go unnoticed or when, something, um, uh, when, a, when good people are punished because of their kindness. Right? That burns within us. It, it frustrates all of us. And it's a very human reality. It's a very human emotion to hurt because of that. It's very human to hurt when that kind of thing happens. And it's even common, or it should be common among those who love God. Because we yearn for justice. We yearn for things to be right. The people of the Bible know this. Right? The, the Old Testament as well as the New Testament is, is laden with these things. You can read it in Psalm 73. There, we can listen to Asaph as he cries out to God as he witnesses and experiences the injustice around him. You might even be able to, as you read Psalm 73, you might even be able to find some words that might articulate 
your own emotions and your own pain because there Asaph was processing his own confusion and his own uh, difficult emotions and how the wicked seem to be prospering. That's a challenge when we see someone who is morally just uh, deficient, when they're terrible people and they just seem to be prospering and prospering. Why, God? Why? You know, speaking of Mother's Day, why is it those who, who have children who don't actually want children when we are yearning for babies ourselves, why are the wicked prospering? And this is what Malachi is, in a way, addressing the, the hearts of Israel. Because most likely, Israel was comparing themselves to the neighboring nations that surrounded them. This is where their complaint was sort of landing in. They were comparing themselves to the neighboring nations that surrounded them. Those who weren't chosen by God, right again, that's us were chosen by God. Those who weren't chosen by God, they saw how great they were becoming in the world. They were prospering. They were becoming these great, wonderful nations that had commerce and, and, and security and all these wonderful things. Why are they getting what we deserve? And since they didn't see themselves as doing anything wrong, that they were just doing their best for God... It seemed evident to them that if this was what was going on, then God must be acting unrighteously. God must be unjust. And uh, by being unjust and not blessing them in the way that they desired, they came to the eventual conclusion that he, he wanted to call evil what was good and then even took it a bit further and they asked, where is the God of justice? If he's not giving us what we want, then he apparently is unjust. Apparently he wants what's evil and not the things that are good. And really, where is he? They blasphemed. They they made a blasphemous claim that God preferred evil over good. And then they eventually concluded that he was neglecting them and that he even stopped caring for them altogether. That was their end. That was their conclusion. So where was this God of justice? Where was the God of justice? Well, God answers the question himself. He answers them with a promise. He says, where am I? Well, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm on my way. Verse 1, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the day of old, as in former years. Four things are actually happening in these four verses. There are four things. One, God says that he is sending a messenger. That's his first promise. The second is that uh, the one that they were waiting for is actually on his way. The third promise is he is coming to bring that justice that they desired. And four, this is going to create a refined people that will honor God properly. So he's sending the messenger, he's on his way, he's bringing that justice, and then it's going to refine the people to honor him properly. So let's look at these four promises God says in verse 1 that he is sending his messenger to prepare the way. 
Now, in that time, when a, when a king of, of a nation would travel somewhere, he would, uh, he would send forward a messenger to tell the people that he was actually coming to give them appropriate time to prepare for his arrival. And one of the main tasks for that messenger was to make sure that the way was clear, that obstacles were out of the way, as well as that the path was as straight as possible and as level as possible to make it as easy as possible. Now, prophetically... Who is this messenger? Who is Malachi actually talking about? And the way that we answer that question is we just simply look to see who is it that's coming, right? If, if we're looking for the messenger or we're, and he's eventually pointing to uh, the, the, the person that's coming, well, who is it that is coming? Again, look at verse 1. God says, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way for me or he will prepare the way before me. It's God himself. He's sending a messenger to prepare the way for him. The one who was going to come was God himself. So who is this messenger that was going to come? Do you know who he's talking about yet? Have you, have you figured it out? Well, the Gospel of Mark actually begins his narration of Jesus' life and ministry with this messenger because the messenger is the one who's going to prepare the way for the one who's the most important. Right? Look at Mark 1, verse 1 through 3. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. And then in this moment, John the Baptist comes on the scene as a way to prepare the hearts of God's people, right? That's what he was doing. He was making the way straight. He was preparing the path, the path of the people to repent, baptizing people with this, again, this call to repentance for forgiveness of sins. And then John preaches because he was there and he was gaining the crowd. He preaches and he says, after me comes he who is mightier than I. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was the messenger that God was sending to prepare the way for himself. Now, of course, we know all this because we have the Gospels. We have uh, this wonderful testimony of the New Testament, the new covenant that's been made. But we have this because we stand in a very blessed position in in the history of redemption. So we have all of this knowledge. But likely... What the people of Malachi's time heard was that a king was going to be sent for them. This king was going to be sent to them, one who would save them from those foreign oppressors, those evil people over there who were prospering. We were going to get to be greater than them. But that's not what God was saying to them, right? That's not what God was saying. The one coming was the messenger of the covenant, the one they claimed to delight in, even though they had all of this terrible form of worship. They did what they were supposed to do. They, they followed the, the rules, and their hearts were not in it. The one coming was the messenger of the covenant, the one they claimed to delight in, even though, uh, as we talked about and we just talked about, they defiled the covenant with God. They expected that God would send them a savior, one that would make them greater than the nations. Again, we are chosen. We should be the champions. We should be the ones better. He was sending them a savior, one that could conquer anyone who dare stand against God. Now, they weren't totally wrong in that way because he would send one to to defeat foreign oppression, which is sin in our life. 
Again, they weren't all the way wrong. It's just that God had a grander plan, right? He had a grander plan. He was sending a king. He was sending the king. But this king would usher in the new covenant, this new covenant for all nations and all tribes. But look at verse 2. Who can endure the day of his coming? But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. What does it mean for the Lord to come to us? What does it mean for the Lord to come to us? We've named our church Maranatha, which means come, Lord. This is this desire for him to to return to us, right? He has come, lived, died, resurrected, ascended back to heaven. He promised that he is going away to prepare a place for us. And if he has done that, he promises to return. So we yearn for him to do so. But what does that mean? Are you ready for that? Are you ready for God to return? Malachi says that who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? You see, Israel in this moment thinks that God is coming to vindicate them, to make them great. But God is saying that when he comes, justice is coming with him. Judgment is coming with him. Now, as you process this, this might be a bit confusing because of a lot of the things that we're taught. A lot of the things we're we're taught like we're like halfway there. This might be confusing because if you're trying to process the difference between Jesus' first advent and his first arrival and his second arrival, it can seem a bit confusing. Because Jesus did say in John 3:17, for God did send his son into the world to uh, sorry. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But he also said in John 9, 39, for judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. We have not condemning, but also judgment. So yes, Jesus came to save And yes, at his second coming, he will deliver that final judgment on the entire world, but it's not one or the other. It's not saving, he is all love, or judgment, he's all wrath. It's not one or the other. It is both because truth saves and it divides. This is the reality of the gospel. It both saves and it divides. It just does. Whenever truth is preached or taught or revealed in some other way, the spiritual division takes place between those who believe and those who do not. That's what the truth does. That's what actual truth does. It brings about a spiritual division of those who believe and those who don't. And Jesus said this. He said this in John 3.18. So we have John 3.16, which if you're a Christian, you probably know. Right? Only begotten Son came to save the world. He's, not, he's come not to condemn, but to save. Well, John 3.18 says this, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. This is still His first coming, because He has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, this is why Malachi so wisely refers to the coming of the Lord as a refiner and purifier of silver and gold. 
Because there is this division when we come and we actually are uh, introduced to Jesus Christ. You see, a refiner's fire does its work by separating what's good and pure from what doesn't belong within the metal. That's its process. And it's actually a, a very incredibly taxing and arduous uh, job of a refiner. And it takes a good amount of time for the metals to really melt down as a way to, to sort of pull out all the impurities as they float to the top. Malachi uses also another example, probably one we're more familiar with. I don't know how many refiners of metals there are in here, but this is one we're probably more familiar with. He calls the Lord Fuller's Soap. Now, a fuller is just really a launderer, someone who washes clothes. And sometimes, as we know, especially a lot of you moms, I know my mom did a lot of grass stains, sometimes stains are difficult to get out of our clothes. So the fuller would have to take this special soap and really grind and scrub out the dirt just to discard it and wash it away into the drain. So the refiner melts down the metal as a way for the impurities to come up so he can remove them, and the the fuller grinds out the dirt as a way to discard it into the drain. And Malachi is using these analogies to reveal really the impending consequences of judgment and separation for anyone who dishonors God by uh, uh, by remaining content with their apathetic hearts. He's trying to reveal for us, like, We can't remain in apathy. We can't remain wearying the Lord who created all things because he is worthy of our honor. He is the only one that we are to follow and worship. And then Malachi gives us this list of evil practices that God uh, is not pleased with. He says in verse 5 that God will be quick to judge the sorcerers, the adulterers, Those who swear falsely, that is those who lie, those who oppress their employees, those who uh, oppress the widow and the fatherless, those who neglect the sojourner, that's the people who have nowhere to go. And finally, as a way to sort of sum it all up, and if you think you're not on that list, you're in this list, those who do not fear him. That is those who who don't honor God, who don't uh, have reverence for God, those who don't glorify God with their life. And like I said, when we see lists like this, and they're all throughout Scripture, when we see lists like this, we have to be careful not to turn up our noses and just quietly say to ourselves, well, I've actually never actually cheated on my wife. Of course, I would never go and listen to a fortune teller. But all of us do probably have a, 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 a sort of a list in our mind of sins that we might pay more attention to, that we're really detested by are really grossed out by, or a set of lists that were of sins that we're just, we actually don't care too much about. We have to be careful not to, to turn our noses up at this, because again, we can find ourselves having a list that each of us really care about and don't quite care so much about. Important sins to avoid, and less important, less important sins that um, we don't have to worry. Now maybe there's a way for us to um, this, this, that, that can go quite a ways because if we just spend our entire day talking about opinions, we could spend too much time and not focusing in on the foundation of truth, which I believe is in God's word. Maybe we can talk about that in our community groups, sins that we hold up here and, and sins that we don't pay much attention to. The point is this, really. The point is this, that coming 
The coming judgment of the Lord, which Malachi is talking about, extends not only to all kinds of sin, but to all kinds of people. All sins and all people. Everyone will be judged by the one who created all things. He created all things, therefore he has authority over all things, and he's the one who determines all things. And the only way that we can avoid being filtered out or discarded like dirt is by realizing that we are purified, that we are washed clean only because God's judgment was first poured out on his son. The only way that we can avoid this and be rescued from this is by realizing that it was first poured out on his son who is the messenger of the covenant of grace. That's Jesus. Who can endure God's judgment? No one. No one can endure God's judgment. The one, uh, no one is capable of standing our ground before the holy and righteous God on our own merit. But in Christ's death, he made it possible. He made it possible for us who have defiled the covenant to approach the throne and not be destroyed. That is the glorious gift of his life and death. His resurrection proves that he is who he says he is and he has come to do what he did. Titus 2.14 says, He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Again, we are given this life by Christ, but this new life that we've been given has been purchased by him on the cross also comes with new purpose for this life. The refiner's fire, nor the fuller's soap, is meant to destroy. Rather, it purifies what it has been purposed to clean, right? It doesn't destroy, it cleans. Now, maybe you're asking yourself, if you're just, for the first time, studying the book of Malachi, or even this truth plainly, if we're as bad or as dirty as you're telling me the Bible tells us that we are, and God is as holy as he is revealing himself to be, then why should there be any hope for us? Well, Malachi tells us that we can actually have perfect assurance. We can have hope because of God's faithfulness. It's not based in the sincerity of our faith. It's based in his faithfulness, his call for salvation. Amen. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. It's based in his faithfulness, not our sincerity of faith. And that is the promise from a just God of all creation. Now we're going to preach more on that next week, so I'm going to leave it there. But this is the gospel. The God of all creation, he created all things perfect, but man transgressed and sinned against him and ruined creation. And that exists from Adam all the way till today with you and me. But Christ came and he lived and he died for us and on behalf of us so that we can be reconciled to the just God and have right relationship with him and get to spend eternity in heaven with Christ. That is the reality of what a just God does. So I yearn, I I ask you, I pray for you to turn to him and repent. 
Recognize that we don't fear him the way that we are called to fear him, but instead repent and turn. If you would, please pray with me. Father, thank you for, again, your word. Thank you for your truth. Help us, Lord, as a, as a church to be honest in humility, in charity as we walk this out in our lives, or let us be unified in the way that we are going to root out the evil that is within us, that is, remains in our heart, Lord, so we can most glorify you in everything that we do. Help us to be people who recognize our need for you. Please root out the apathy in our own hearts and give us greater faith, please. We thank you for the truth of your Son. Thank you for revealing it to us. Help us to lead our families. I'm grateful for all the mothers, those who yearn to be mothers. Lord, thank you that this is a place that we don't have to be perfect, that we can come broken because you are the one who makes us right. You are the one who purifies and cleanses our heart. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.